Welcome to Back of the Grid. My name is Chris and I'm joined by Tom. Hello. And no Stu this week because he's stuck at work because of the Women's World Cup, which is a weird thing to say on a Formula One podcast. But but there we go. We are here to preview the French Grand Prix, but also it was uh, the Le Mans 24 hour this weekend. So we'd be silly not to talk about that for a while. It was won for the second time in a row, uh, twice in one season, actually, because of the whole super season thing by the number eight Toyota of uh, Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Buemi and Kazuki Nakajima. Despite the other Toyota of Mike Conway, uh, Camus Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez leading for the vast majority of the difference. I think there was a, yeah. a full course yellow early on that kind of swapped them around a bit but basically the number seven had led for almost the entire race it had been pretty much faster the whole time it had about a two minute lead with an hour to go uh, when it sadly picks up a puncture which would have been okay they kind of had enough of a lead it was a very slow puncture so they had enough of a lead to get in make the tire change and get back out um the problem was they opted to only replace the one punctured wheel um because all the tyre sets they had left had already done four stints, so they thought it was safer to put on one old tyre than four old tyres, which is understandable. Yeah. Um, but sadly for them, there was a sensor issue, which meant they were being told that a different tyre was uh, had a puncture to the one that actually had a puncture. So the second they drove out the pit lane, they immediately knew that they still had a puncture. Uh, and they had to then nurse the car back around for a lap, make a second pit stop to replace the actual punctured tyre, which obviously cost them a massive amount of time, uh, giving the lead to the number eight with less than an hour to go, uh, which is obviously pretty devastating for them. There did seem to be a lot of discussions at Toyota around that time, and and there was talk of them uh, swapping the cars back around, but in the end they said they decided that wasn't the right thing to do within you know, the way Le Mans works. Um it's it's obviously a tricky one. It was massively heartbreaking for the other three. <sighs> yeah, tricky decision that. Yeah, it's just a lot of bad luck. It, it it almost was the typical Toyota bad luck coming back to haunt them, wasn't it? It really was. It, it felt like it. Like in a way, it's a good job. I guess the number eight car was still strong in the race. Yeah, to be able to absolutely to sort of pick up because it could have gone to anyone if not. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the the privateers were definitely closer this year. They, yeah. I mean, I say only. They were only six laps behind this time, as opposed to 12 laps behind uh, earlier this season. So it shows how the gap's closed. Yeah, which is interesting to see the progression through the season for those privateer teams to, to not be as far behind as the Toyota in what is effectively the same season and same cars. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's some balance of power rule stuff that helps along the way, True. but even so, it's a, it's impressive change. Um, yeah, it's tricky. I, th- I think I do, as sad as it is, I, I think they did do the right thing in not swapping them around. Like, motorsport is pretty cruel, and Le Mans especially is pretty cruel. Like, these are the things that happen, and, you know, winning wouldn't be worth the winning if you didn't have... If you had it handed to you, I guess. Yeah, like part of the battle is against the the endurance of the event, isn't it? That, that's exactly, the idea yeah. of the event. So 
yeah, it's um, it's a shame for the number seven guys like Kobayashi, Jose Maria, and it's Conway, isn't it? The other one, Mike Conway. Uh, Mike Conway, yeah. So, yeah, it's a shame for those guys because they were looking the stronger of qualifying as well, weren't they? They were, yeah, they were pull the whole event, really. Yeah, so it is a shame. But. Yeah, I think it was one of the, I can't remember who, one of the sort of head-up guys at Toyota when he was interviewed said um, something like, Le Mans has chosen its winner again, which is uh, it's the way a lot of people see it, isn't it? It's like the track allows you to win. They do say Le Mans chooses you, don't they, rather than you winning it. So, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, it, it made for quite a muted end, but uh, even so... Um, that win also gave Alonso, Buemi, and Nakajima the uh, drivers' championship as well, um, which is one more thing on Alonso's CV, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> lots of things that still aren't the Indy Five Hundred, but uh, <laughs> should we work towards it? <laughs> yeah. Third place in the podium went to SMP uh, of uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, uh, Mikhail Ashin, and Vitali Petrov. A couple of names you probably recognise in there. Yeah. Um, I did see someone point out that Zach Brown was actually there as well, and it must have been weird for him to stand there watching Alonso and Van Dorn on top of a podium. <laughs> Not for him. <laughs> no, although maybe in the future, but we'll get to that. <laughs> LMP2 was won by uh, Signatech Alpine, Alpine sorry, of Nicolas Lapierre, Pierre Thiret, and Andre Nagaro. Uh, the GT Pro was massively close. They were... I think it was when I checked on the standings this morning when I woke up, there were about nine cars still on the lead lap within like a minute of each other or something. It was massively close. Yeah. Um, it became a sort of two-way fight in the end between Ferrari and uh, Corvette. Uh, the Corvette was looking good for the win, but they um, they got held at the end of the pit lane by a full-course yellow. They lost like a minute just sat at the end of the pit lane, unfortunately, which let the Ferrari of James Caldo, Alessandro, Pierre Goudi, and Daniel Serra, which is Ferrari's first win in five years. <clears throat> and then to add insult to injury, the Corvette had a spin and got damaged and ended up dropping uh, completely out of contention. Uh, yeah, Magnussen in that uh, Corvette, actually. Those yeah. of you who watched F1 in the 90s may remember that. Or know his son. <laughs> yes. Actually, I, I, think, I think in an interview recently, Kevin Magnussen said he would be potentially interested in going for a drive at Le Mans with his dad sometime. So we might may well see him. Oh, but it would be cool to year. see them race together, I guess. It'd be very cool, it, yeah. Do you know what would be cooler? Is the Magnussen father-son combo versus the Verstappen father-son combo. Yes, that'd be like very cool. That'd be cool. You could have the Brundle father-son combo in there yeah, as well, couldn't you? even better. Because <laughs> Alex Brundle was there racing in this year, and I'm sure Martin would have a, have a stab at it again. Oh, you could have the Palmers as well. <clears throat> you could, yeah. There's, there's so many options. And the Rosbergs. And the oh! Rosbergs. <laughs> oh, we need, this a, is what we we need, need. a father-son endurance racing series. This would be incredible. It's, like, it's turning into like school sports day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like father, like son. <laughs> <laughs> um, Porsche uh, took the other two spots on the GTE Pro podium. Uh, the four GTs in there final WC race at least as a factory team uh took up the next three spots they were never quite in the fight unfortunately uh although a, a privateer team winning running a 4GT did win the GTE and the class uh with Ben Keating Drone Bleak Mullen I think I'm saying that right and Felipe Fraga taking the uh the GTE and win so it's nice to see a 4GT get something in its last race hopefully the some more privateers will pick those up for next year because I don't know if you saw them this year's 
they like they're just the coolest looking cars. They were they? indeed the 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 paintwork with the the lighting on the, the <clears throat> side pod kind of area. Yeah, or just... each of the three um, factory cars had like different coloured LEDs yeah. inside the kind of air intake, so you could tell them apart at night. And they had these like classic liveries. They were so good. They were good. Very good. Uh, sticking with WEC for a little bit, they have finalised what is currently being called the Hypersport rules for the 2020-2021 season, uh, which is essentially the replacement for the current LMP1 class. It's Their main thing is to kind of try and open the rules up for more people to enter, because obviously currently it's Toyota is the only manufacturer and then there's a bunch of privateers. So the new rules, it's kind of leaning the cars more towards being like cars you can buy on the road, albeit hypercars but still kind of cars you'd recognize um yeah so it allows for still for kind of prototypes but within the kind of hypercar look and also cars that are just derived from existing hypercars um still going to have hybrid and traditional internal combustion engines allowed and they're going to have a balance of power system to kind of keep the field competitive toyota have already reconfirmed them committing to it they've released a few early renders of what their prototype might look like which is sort of loosely based on the on their GR Super Sport road car. Then Aston Martin instantly also announced they're going to be entering next year with a version of their Valkyrie hypercar, um, which is a stunning-looking thing. Uh, And I think notably, they built that car in collaboration with Red Bull and Adrian Newey did a lot of the design work on it, and they've already said that they are going to be involved somehow in their WEC entry as well, which is very exciting. That's that's my sort of team for that season onwards. Yeah, definitely. Easily. Really excited to see what these new cars look like yeah. in the flesh. Um, McLaren have been kind of talking about these new rules for a while. They've ruled out entering the first season, but they said they're um, very much looking at and evaluating an entry in the 2021-22 season. Zach Brown's already said that Alonso is an obvious choice <laughs> to drive for them, but he's also keen on potentially getting Norris and Sainz, their current F1 drivers, involved as well, which will be quite cool, actually, to see some current F1 drivers doing other stuff alongside, which doesn't happen all that often these days. Yeah, we've had, like, in recent times, it's been Alonso and Hulkenberg, really. They're the only two that really... Pretty much it, isn't it? it yeah. Isn't it? But yeah, it's it's very exciting because, you know, we, we've we all been watching WEC sort of on and off for a number of years now, and there was that kind of golden era where you had Porsche, Audi, and Toyota, yeah, like, properly racing each other week in, week out. Um, and we sort of lost that for a little while. So it'd be nice to get a bunch more manufacturers involved there. Yeah, hopefully this hypersport change, bringing the people like Aston and McLaren back into that that top bracket is going to bring that competition back because it's entertaining. It's, it's a little like a lot of series at the minute, but like the entertaining racing is sort of down in the GTs and stuff like that where things are a lot closer and a lot more competitive. Exactly, yeah. Like, Yes, it's nice to see Alonso and people like that going out and, you know, dominating, but it for 24 hours it can be a little bit dull if that's all you're going to see. Yeah. So it's good to have the stuff lower down that's more competitive and like you say I I I do miss that sort of that Porsche Audi battle that we had for a long yeah. time. Like and Toyota were always there or thereabouts. They would just have the reliability issues. Exactly, yeah. So, um I guess the question would be is if people start pushing them again, will they will they start having reliability issues again? Yeah, will they try and push too much and have issues? Yeah. Be interesting to yeah. see. It's be very interesting. But yeah, very, very excited for the Aston specifically. 
Oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be so good. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen the Aston Martin Valkyrie, look it up. It's ridiculous looking thing. Yeah, it's amazing. Meanwhile, F1 have failed to finalise their 2021 rules. There was a, a a big push over the Canadian Grand Prix weekend to try and reach a consensus. Um, Renault in particular said they were concerned that if they keep delaying the rules, it would allow big manufacturers, presumably he was talking about Mercedes and Ferrari, uh, to sort of soften the rules which are aimed at bringing the field close together, which you'd expect them to up to a point. But ultimately, there was a, there was a summit at the FIA in Paris where... The FIA, various technical chiefs from teams, Pirelli, and some driver representatives basically agreed that the rules weren't ready and they've delayed them for about four months until October. So we should find out in October now what the next set of rules are going to be like. One interesting thing is that the GDPA, the Grand Prix Drivers Association, did have some representation there. It was Lewis Hamilton, Nico Hulkenberg, and Alexander Wurtz. Because I think a lot of drivers have spoken for a while about how they have historically never been consulted on new rules. Um, I know Verstappen recently was saying much the same and, you know, how as soon as they saw the current set of rules, they could point out the problems and why they wouldn't necessarily help the overtaking and stuff. So it's good to see them there and involved in these discussions. I don't know how involved they are, but they're there, which has got to be a good first step. Yeah, exactly. To be able to be there and sort of throw your 10 cents within and and say, Mm. well... I don't know if we appreciate that because of the following reasons. At least it's there's a chance that their input as drivers will be considered. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also interestingly saw an interview with Toto Wolf where he said he actually doesn't believe that making a big change in the rules is going to be the best thing for competition in the sport because historically, if you look back, some of the better racing has been when rules have been allowed to kind of stagnate for a while and people tend to come together a little bit whereas mm. when you get a new rule set one or two teams will get the new rules right where other teams will get them wrong um and then he ended the interview by saying that being said i fully understand that nobody's gonna listen to a word i say on this because i'm the boss of the currently dominating team so yeah. <laughs> they're probably gonna think i don't have their best interests at heart he, he has a point to a degree he does but, um i think with how long we've I suppose the aero currently is the aero changes haven't made as significant a difference as some thought. I know we talked about the fact that we thought they'd help and be a step in the right direction, but wouldn't change a huge amount. And I think that's sort of proven itself, I guess, over the course of the season so far, hasn't it? Like people can put themselves in better positions for an overtake and stuff like that. And it's a little bit easier now, but it's still not, quite all the way there there's still more work to be done with it for sure yeah better but not great still yeah um one change that was agreed on there is some changes to the super license rules there's going to be a new free practice license uh which only requires 25 points instead of the usual 40 for a full license which basically means any driver that can accrue 25 super license points will be eligible to take part in f1 free practice sessions um which I think is a positive thing, gives more more drivers a chance at uh, having to go in F1 machinery because there's not that many opportunities to drive modern F1 cars these days. Mm, I wonder I wonder if that means that Dan Tickton's got enough super license points now. I imagine he does have for I think, I think a free had, practice license. Yeah. yeah, I think he had 30-something, and the, the point was that he had to go 
somewhere else to earn more to get to 40, which is what's required for F1, as you were saying there. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it's either 30 or 35, somewhere around that mark. So it'd be interesting to see if um, once that free practice license is introduced, I assume it's from the start of next season, isn't it? That I believe that so, applies. yeah. So then again, between now and then, I suppose he might earn the missing points he needs. Yeah, true. Well, if not, there's another new rule that will help him. Mm-hmm. And that is that drivers will now be able to earn super, super license points from free practice sessions. Uh, so any driver can uh, earn one super license point per race weekend if they complete 100 kilometers and if they don't pick up any penalty points on their license, um, which I think is a good little addendum just to stop people, yeah. stop dangerous drivers accruing super license points. Mm. Uh, and they're limiting that to a maximum of 10 points from that method across three, uh, three seasons. So, so if you've got enough points for the free practice license, over three seasons you could earn enough to get to 35, but you'd still yeah. need to be doing something else to get to the exactly, full 40. Yeah. Which is good anyway. earn, Yeah, you can't just earn them from driving around in a fp1 every yeah. week um but yeah i do fully expect to be seeing dan tictum in lots of free practice sessions the second these new rules come yeah. in because they are desperate to get that boy a super license another change they made was they are also adding w series and euro formula open to the list of series that you can earn super license points from uh they've not said exactly how many points you'll be able to earn from those yet um hmm. but knowing what kind of formula three gives which is both those series are sort of around that sort of level aren't they yeah well w series the car is the same thing as formula three effectively so. exactly yeah but i guess at least that does kind of further legitimize w series as a step on the ladder yeah to go in that direction which is a good thing definitely uh should we move ahead to france yeah see what's coming yes the french grand prix at Paul Ricard for the second time since they returned there. A few storylines going into this race. Obviously, it's Renault's home race, which they are already making a big deal of on social media if you follow them. <laughs> big question, of course, is whether they can show the form that gave them 6th and 7th in Canada again. Um, and that offers that amazing fourth place for Ricardo in qualifying as well. Do we think they've got it in them to... Uh, they kind of surprised me uh, in Canada. Like... It's not a track that I would have thought suited them, um, which we kind of talked about in the review episode last time out. And I'd be interested to see if it is a genuine improvement in the car because there are some similarities here. Like I sort of touched on it last week when I was saying, you know, you've got those those long straights heading down into the small hairpins and stuff like that. It's There are some very similar sort of... Uh, layout points it will show how genuine the pace was i guess last time out let's put it that way i don't know if they will yeah. continue it but it'll if they do it will legitimize what we saw in canada i guess is what i'm getting at yeah definitely um nico hawkenberg's got an answer for you as well oh yeah um on whether they'll be able to carry their performance forward he said I think it's realistic because so far the car has performed really well on every kind of circuit. So I think the package is consistent and works pretty much everywhere we've been. We've just not got the results because of mistakes, uh, technical issues, wherever it was. So I'm quite optimistic. So he doesn't just think it's got a similar track. He thinks I've got a car that works pretty much everywhere. Hmm. <laughs> I like his optimism. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like 
I I understand they've had some technical failures and things like that and retirements, but until last weekend, they didn't really look on the pace on before those technical retirements. So exactly, yeah, it's not that like they're retiring from fourth, fifth, sixth every race. Exactly, uh, but you know, if if they're confident, then that's that's a starting point. You you've got to be confident in yourself and the car, because if you're not, then you're never going to get anywhere, are you? So um, exactly, yeah. It's a starting point, and I, I think if they can build on Canada and and keep showing that pace, then this is an ideal place to do it. Really, from the track layout. Yeah. Uh, speaking of teams that did well in Canada, um, well, <laughs> sort of. Uh, will Ferrari be able to show the same pace um, and be fighting at the front again? It's another flat out track, isn't it? For for a good proportion. Lots of flat out with high braking zones. There's there's a little bit more sort of twisty technical mid-speed corner here. So that's probably going to favour the uh, the Mercedes, sort of the end of sector one and then sector three. Are sort of yeah. probably going to favour the Mercedes, but, you know, the early parts of sector one and then what is pretty much all of sector two is going to be more Ferrari territory. So... It, again, it would be interesting to see if, how, well, how that pace that we saw in Canada for Vettel compares to the Mercedes pace. Mm, definitely. I mean, I don't know if you saw like the side by side with Vettel and Hamilton's pole, uh, well, Hamilton's pole lap, their qualifying laps in Canada. And the Ferrari just made up something like four tenths just down that final straight alone. Yeah. So. Paul Ricard has even more straights than that, so you would definitely expect them to just eat into the time there. Yeah, it's whether or not they can hold it out during that final sector and then the sort of the bit at the end of sector one that loops you back onto those straights. That's they're the two key points, I think, of the lap that yeah. Ferrari need to be on top of. Um, because that's where Mercedes will make that time back up. But it's whether the Mercedes can make up enough time, I guess. Exactly, and, yeah. and it's nice to feel like we can have this conversation briefly again, because mm, it is. Like there was a point leading into Canada where we were thinking that the Mercedes is now that far gone that they're the only options for for picking wins and pulls. But Ferrari did do their best to prove us otherwise. So it will be nice to see if they can <laughs> continue yeah. that as well and actually take the fight to Mercedes from from here on in. Yeah, underneath all the controversy, there were actually some real positives from that race. Exactly. Um, another one, can Williams carry on uh, catching up to the pack ahead? It's sort of gone under the radar a little bit, but the last two races now, Williams haven't been the last two cars at the end of the race. Uh, mm. Admittedly, it's been Russell both times, but they've there's been cars behind at least one of the Williams for a couple of races, and they definitely seem to be closing that gap, so... I'm looking for them to be a lot closer. Um, they still seem to struggle in qualifying. The qualifying gap still seems to be significant, but under race pace, they definitely seem to have more than they did early in the season. Yeah, it's. I'm interested to see how they evolve now because with next season being more or less the same with minimal changes, they, we've, we've talked about it a lot already, but they need to now be knuckling down and trying to work towards being on the pace by the end of this season and going into next year in a stronger position. 
So yeah. hopefully we'll start to see them close the gap. But it is nice to see that they are slowly but surely managing to to pull that off. And like we say, they're not finishing the last two on the road like they, they were at the start of the season. So the pace must be coming back to them slowly but surely. Yeah, <clears throat> they're definitely looking like being pacing in that car again. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So can I have a driver to watch from you? Having said all of that, um, a little bit of a curveball, I guess, but I'm going to go with Lance Stroll this weekend, Ooh. just because. Impressed might be a stretch, but he had a pretty solid race uh, last time out in Canada. Um, it was our driver of the day, in fact. Yeah, we gave him driver of the day for that reason as well, and. I want to see, basically, if he can continue that. He's been a long way off Perez so far this season, where in the race in Canada, he was solidly ahead of him by a good margin. So I want to see if he can now take that fight to Perez and make that more interesting and, to be fair, help racing points start scoring more points because it had been solely Perez doing the majority of that work up until now. So it's him that I'm going to be keeping my eye on, I think, this time around. That's a good one. I like that. I like that a lot. You're welcome. Um, I'm going to go for another slightly out there one. I'm going to say Roman Grosjean. Uh, He is very much a driver under pressure who needs to turn his fortunes around. Um, And he was in much the same position at this point last year, and he had a pretty miserable time of it at his home Grand Prix. Yeah. so I think when we're watching him in the hope that he can actually have a decent home race and maybe try and turn his fortunes around a little bit because he very much needs it. Yeah, we've kind of talked about his personality before as well, where he seems to be... He gets down in the dumps a little bit and yeah. almost kind of feels a bit sorry for himself, which that could be the way that the Netflix thing portrayed him and he might not be like mm. that all the time, but the the definite impression that I took away from that was that Roman gets really like in his own head and can get can become the weight on his own shoulders almost. And yeah. he's the guy that puts the most pressure on himself. And I think that going to his home Grand Prix in that kind of form is only going to add to that. So he really needs to clear his head, I think. And like you say, just get a solid solid race result, points finish, you know, something like that. I think yeah, seventh, definitely. eighth, something where he can be happy he's picked up decent points. And then even better if he's ahead of Kevin. That's that's where Roman needs to be after this weekend, I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think it'll help as well. Like last year was the first French Grand Prix in a good number of years. And obviously there was a big... That was a big deal, and yeah. a lot of people wanting to speak to him because he is the French driver right now. Obviously, Gasly's there as well, but at the time last year, uh, Gasly wasn't you know as far up the grid. So maybe being the second year in and with Gasly at Red Bull, there'll be just a little bit less of a circus around him, which might help him a little as well. Could do, could do, yeah, yeah. Um, how about a team to watch? Ooh, um. We've kind of already talked about it, but for similar reasons to why I picked Stroll on driver, I think it's probably Renault, like home race, yeah, promising result last race, 
time to try and push on on that and start scoring serious points now. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, for completely opposite reasons to that, I'm going to say Haas because they had an utterly miserable race last time out. Probably, probably second only to the Australian Grand Prix where they cocked up both of their pit stops. Yeah, um, this is probably the only worst race I've had. They were utterly dreadful last time, and they desperately need to turn around. What I find interesting about this little segment here of driver and team to watch, I've gone for two people. Well, two things that potentially overperformed, did well, and I, I'm interested <laughs> to see if it holds out and continues. You've gone on both the other way, and it's been more, <laughs> you've been abysmal for the last couple of races. <laughs> uh, you need to pick up your game. It's like two completely different ways of doing this. <laughs> but both valid reasons any... to keep your eye on them, I guess. Yeah, if there's any psychologists out there listening, please... <laughs> don't read into that and tell us what anything means we do not want to know <laughs> um let's have a quick trip to the catering truck as well as we like to yeah we've had an email from yuka snaily who may or may not be involved in some of our jingles uh, who said if you promote snails in the catering truck i'll be upset um, <laughs> but we wouldn't do that we wouldn't go for the obvious choice of snails or frog's legs there's a lot of obviously very very nice french cuisine but I found something special uh, for anyone who's there this weekend to uh, to try. Um, if you're in a French restaurant near Port Ricard uh, this weekend, try yourself some tétine. Tétine. I know that name. Why do I know that name? Tétine is... It's, it's cow's udders, basically. Oh, so it's awful. Is it awful? Well, awful is generally just innards, isn't it, really? Well... Udders are kind of outards as well, aren't they? <laughs> I guess. Um, Is it the principle's be... the same, Chris, <laughs> that you have managed to pick a part of the animal that most people wouldn't eat for obvious reasons and promoted it as a dish of a nation? <laughs> uh, basically, yeah. It looks nice and like crispy fried. Maybe it's good. Who knows? If anyone tries it, let us know. Um, and on that weird note, let's do some predictions. <laughs> I predict Chris will one day eat one of these foods and vomit. <laughs> I definitely want to, if, if I'm ever in another country where there's a Grand Prix, which is probably likely, I will try to try one of the things we've suggested for the catering truck. There's my promise on this podcast. Specifically the awful versions. I mean, I've kind of backed myself into a corner, haven't I, really? I've sort of got to. Yes, I'm making sure that this happens. I want to watch <laughs> you eat stomachs and udders. <laughs> I mean, it's recorded now, so I can't back out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you want to take us through some predictions? Yeah, why not? We'll go turn after turn, but we already have Stu's as he submitted them a little bit earlier on. So that does mean that we have a slight advantage of already knowing the random driver, even though I've only just seen it when I scrolled down to this point <laughs> of our document. So nice. I have a slight advantage of about five minutes. Um, okay, fastest in Q3. We always start there. So Chris, you can go first. Seems like I'm reading it all out. I'm going to stick with what we sort of said earlier, and that is that Ferrari are going to keep it up, so I'm going to go Vettel for pole. That is interesting. At the minute, I am personally torn between Vettel and Hamilton. Um, What doesn't help is that Stu has gone Hamilton, so I'm going to be copying one of you. And (laughs) I think I'm going to go with Vettel. Partly because I think they want to come out the gates firing this weekend after yep. 
what happened in Canada and feeling they they feel the result was unjustified, don't they? So I think they're they're yeah. out there to do it. Um, speaking of that winner, I don't know if they'll have the race pace, and this is where I'm again really really torn. This is where I'm struggling. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to have to go with the horrifyingly obvious choice of Hamilton which also matches Stu. So at this, at this point in time, I've gone with you for Q3 and I'm going with Stu on the win by both St. Hamilton. But where are you going here, Chris? It's so tough. It is. Um, in the interest of being different, I'm going to say Vettel. I think you have a good chance there. I'm just looking at a map of this track and... It's very, very straight. There's a lot of straight on that track. There is. I was going to make a bad joke about cutting corners then. I'm going to move myself away from it quickly and go to, to first DNF. So the flowchart dictates that Stu might be right here because he's gone for Kvyat because Kvyat going to Kvyat, I assume. Yeah. But the new factor we did try and add into the flowchart was, is it a home driver's race? Yes. So... Is that going to factor into your choice, Chris? I don't think... I, I'm tempted by Gasly. I am tempted by Gasly. Oh, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, is that what you were thinking as yeah, well? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm solidly saying Gasly now. Oh, you're doing I, it. You're just that's doing what it. I was going to do. So, uh, Damn it. I'm stealing it from you before you do it. <laughs> I'm going to go... I'm feeling a McLaren again. I'm going to go for signs. Okay, the other McLaren. If it's Gasly now, I'm going to be devastated. A signs for you, a Gasly for me, because I was going there anyway, but I wondered <laughs> if you would. And then a caveat for Stu. So then that brings us to number of finishers, which last year in France, we had 17 finishers. Well, actually, no, sorry, we didn't. We had 15 finishers by our standards. Yes. Um, there were another two classified, but they didn't finish the race, so they wouldn't have counted. Um, yes. Yeah. And most of them were like collisions and failures and things like that. So, Well, there's it's near impossible to crash into anything at that track. It's just a, a circuit painted in a sea of runoff. Grosjean managed it in practice. He did, actually, didn't he? Yeah. Just putting that out there. Yeah, Grosjean going to Grosjean. Interestingly, just just to point out the flowchart, if we do add home driver, the first two retirements of last season were Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon. So the (laughs) flowchart is, week by week, the flowchart is working. Uh, It is. um, is Technically, it's my turn to go first, because even though I did steal Gasly from under you, um, (laughs) I'm going to go... 17 here. We, we've seemed to be seeing more and more finishes at the moment as people are sort of on top of the formula in general as it currently stands. So there's not a huge amount to hit, like you say. I'm going 17. I've now just looked at the chart and the two options I was thinking of, you and Stu have gone for. You've gone 17, Stu's gone 18. Yeah. Um, I was leaning more towards 17, so I'm just going to stick with 17. Okay. And then... As I think I revealed earlier, the random driver is Kvyat. Um, Stu already had him down for first DNF, so he's 
got him down as 20th because that is where first DNF would sit. It's very bold from Stu, especially when he wasn't even backed into that corner. Normally we pick our first DNF, then we choose the random driver and sometimes we get stuck with the same person you've said, but Stu is off by choice, knowing the random driver in advance. Yeah. Gone for Kvyat's first DNF. It's very bold. That is a fair point. Uh, I never thought about it like that. Because this will now be the second time he's pulled a first DNF that's become the random driver, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, shoe first on this one. Where do you think Danny Kvyat will come? Well, obviously he wasn't in the race last year. Um, no. The Toro Rossos were 14th and... First DNF. First retirement, so <laughs> doesn't give us too much to go on. Where where was Kvyat last race? He did pretty well, didn't he, I think? In Canada last time out, Daniel Kvyat finished 10th. Oh, yeah, because um, Stroll sort of got by in the... Yeah. Towards the end, didn't he? Are they good enough? I don't think they're going to get points this time out. I'm going to go for a 13th. Okay. I'm slightly more optimistic and going to go 12th for myself <laughs> but not that much more optimistic <laughs> slightly more optimistic I'm definitely more optimistic than Stu between us <laughs> <laughs> so and that wraps initial predictions up um, if you want to partake then you can do so at backofthegrid.com where it's free to register and you can submit your predictions between now and the start of Q1 and Remember, there is always a prize for anyone who manages five out of five perfect across a race weekend. And with the way that we don't score points, you are more than <laughs> likely to catch us in the general leaderboard, even if this weekend is your first race entering. <laughs> Almost certainly. Technically, a clean sweep could start overtaking me. <laughs> it if actually I don't could, score yeah. anything. So just <laughs> one good that race out there. One good race and you're already on par with me. <laughs> Deary me. It's abysmal, isn't it? Yeah. Um, should we go to the inbox? Yeah, we have some inbox. To finish. We do indeed have some inbox to finish. Um, Vasco Brettenfeld said, what do you think about the new hypercar category? Uh, maybe it can bring manufacturers back to Le Mans and make Alonso stop saying, it was the hardest race of my life when only two cars are even remotely <laughs> close to winning. <laughs> Um, yes. Yeah, we've. I guess we've already talked about it a little bit. Like, I, I think Amazing's interested, and the the excitement in it for me is more the prospect of bringing manufacturers back into it. That's definitely where it's at for me. Yeah, I, and I really hope it does that. I mean, obviously, as you say, we've already got Toyota and Aston committing to it. McLaren are looking like maybe the second season of it. Um, I believe Ford were involved in the talks at one point. Um. I don't think we're going to see Audi or Porsche come back. They're sort of putting all their eggs in the Formula E basket these days. Yeah, too many have gone. Well, I say too many have gone. Like a lot now are going down. The more it it has to be hybrid forced or electric forced. I think. Yeah. Whereas at the moment, Le Mans, well, World Endurance will continue to allow both types of engine, and I think yeah. that. There's a few manufacturers out there, Mercedes being one of them for sure, which unless it is hybrid or electric, they're not that interested in entering. The fact that they stopped entering things like DTM is significant enough, I think, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. 
But I mean, if you look at like car manufacturers that already build what you would call hypercars, I mean, like Ferrari could potentially enter. McLaren, we've already talked about. Um, Porsche have their hypercars. Koenigsegg, like Lamborghini even could maybe pop up. Bugatti would be a great team to see back. Like they've got a history in Le Mans. It'd be great to see them reappear. Yeah, it would be really cool to see some of these other manufacturers come back in. Or, or yeah, it really even, would. Well, even if it's the first time, like not necessarily coming back, just in it in general, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm very excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, next up, Zach says, do you think Ferrari would catch up if they spent their 300 million on sandbags like Mercedes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, because I don't think that'd help them catch up, would it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's worked for Mercedes, but then... <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Did you see that? Um, I can't which race it was when Mercedes do the kind of debrief videos after the race, and on one of them they'd got a sandbag just on a desk in the background. Yeah, I think I, I think I originally sent you the screenshot, didn't I? In one of our group chats, it, yeah. like, it was like a little screenshot, and it was yeah, they've they've done that on purpose for sure. They've done that on purpose. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Katie says, I really loved Le Mans this year. Despite Toyota taking off into the distance, it was very refreshing to see overtakes for a change. I like that get it back and we'll fix it spirit uh, and to be still in with a shout even after crashing is great. Yeah, it. I I, I also love that about Le Mans. If I did mention earlier, like you always get this outpouring of emotion as well. Like after the fine, what should be the final pit stops, like the pit crew always celebrating and look very emotional. And when, um, the Toyota had to make that second stop, when they realized, um, uh, that they still had the puncture, I think it was Lopez in the car at the time said he basically just cried all the way back around to the pits. Cause at that moment he knew that like the yeah. last 23 hours had been for nothing. Cause they weren't going to win anymore. And like, it's that that kind of stuff that just makes Le Mans really, really special. Do you remember the Delta Wing that was entered once a number of years yes. ago? Yes, yes. Um, I believe it was the first year they entered that, um, and it was involved in a crash at night, um, and it got stuck out in the grass next to a fence, and they couldn't get it going again to uh, get back for repairs. Um, and I remember seeing the some mechanics had run around the track to where it had crashed and they were passing tools through the fence to the driver to try and fix it enough to get it going to run back around again um and it got to a point where they knew they couldn't do it so I, don't, I don't remember who the driver was but like at the moment when he was just like this isn't going to happen he just kind of sat down and broke down and just like had to sit there for five minutes just because he was emotionally ruined after it and you just don't get stuff like that in any other kind of racing, do you? Now, you see, this is this is the interesting thing for me, which is in World Endurance, um, you get either half a point or a point, depending on the event, just for finishing. Yeah. Now, not many other series do that. One that I know for well that does it, and you see the exact same thing, is supercars over in australia and you will get a point no matter where you finish in the order as long as you finish and you see the exact same thing happening where a car may have taken a battering but if they can get it back around into the garage do something with it and come out four laps down but still finish they will because there are still points on on the table Mm. and I think that as fragile as F1 cars and other open wheel cars are, I think that 
teams would probably make more of an effort to finish the race did points go all the way down the grid. Because even in World Endurance, it's like after 10th, it's like half a point, isn't it? Or something like that for the rest yeah. of the grid. But at least it's something. And that half a point can potentially decide where a driver or a team finish in the standings at yeah, the end definitely. of the season. So it's, there's always something to fight for in those two series as specifically I've mentioned, where a lot of others sort of after, say, the top 10, depending on how big the field is, there's, you know, if, you, if you're looking like you might retire, you might as well just retire because there's no point. Um, so I think maybe seeing points all the way down the grid might bring that sort of mentality back into sports like Formula One, where it's, yeah. if there's something we can do to get to the end, then we will. Because you do still see it these days, like teams will just say, well, we're not going to get anything. It's not worth putting the mileage on the engine anymore. Exactly. Uh, with with the restrictions on the engines and the penalties and sanctions for replacing certain components X number of times, there's more incentive to stop the car and park it than there is to finish the race and, and yeah. try and get to the end. Whereas obviously in the past, that was very... Well, Formula One, I guess, has always been a little bit like the, the points are for the the pointy end of the grid as this for one yeah. of the better phrase there but you know like this this is the most points we've ever given out on the formula one grid but yeah you know it, i don't know just it just feels like that if there were more points on offer more teams would try harder and it's you'd get that mentality yeah. that you get in stuff like world endurance and supercars yeah, I'd never really thought of that. That's that's an interesting one. Like, I'm sure yeah. people would argue that you're just at that point giving away like participation points and that's not what F1 should be about. But if it keeps cars on track and makes people want to keep fighting to the end, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, like it's... To be fair, it is an achievement to build a car that gets out on that grid and then goes and does yeah. the distance of a race. Same as it is in world endurance and, and other motorsports so like i say even if it's more come on we, we're in a situation where the lead driver gets 25 points at the end of a race mm. it's, it, it would be easy to spread that out so that it went yeah. further down the grid rather than just be the top 10 that's just my point on it anyway i guess yeah that's no, interesting it's a theory on why more cars in <laughs> the series finish i guess is what i'm getting yeah at. i guess so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next, Drew Wright says, with the incident appeals almost up, is Ferrari doing it to try and prove a point and are they going to come back fighting harder than ever against Mercedes? Um, yeah, so on the Ferrari appeal penalty thing, they've said they're not going to appeal the penalty, but they might be asking for an official review of the penalty. There's a difference somewhere in the rules. Whether it's worth it or not is up for debate. I don't know. I've kind of reached the point where I think it's better to just let bygones be bygones. It happened. Let's move on. Let, let you know. Let's maybe use it as a jumping off point to talk about those rules and make some changes. But I think yeah. endlessly appealing things have already happened is probably not what we the, want right now. Yeah, they've they've stuck themselves in a little bit of an awkward position, I guess, with the original uh, appeals that they were trying to make um, because. Now, if they sort of back down, they can easily feel like it makes us look a little bit like we weren't just finding appealing in the first place. So I can, I can kind of see why they've tried to go down this alternate route that that they've seen. But yeah, I think that we all knew at the time that nothing was ever going to come of any appeal that they made because no, 
pretty much a decision made on the track is made on the track and that's how it stays. It's very rare that something like that changes. One of the only times I can ever think of it changing is when it was back when James Hunt got disqualified for a race as part of yeah. the 76 season where he had a, a, a rear wing that was too wide or something like that and Ferrari appealed that and it eventually got his one of his wins overturned and got him disqualified from a race. And that's like one of the mm. only times I can think in my, in my head that that's happened. It probably has been other scenarios, but I can't think of anyone being like stripped of something completely so far after the event. Yeah. Without it being in the immediate aftermath. So yeah, yeah exactly. See where it goes, I guess. But I don't hold much hope for Ferrari if they think they're going to get something out of it. Let's put it that way. No, me neither. I think it is more proving a point than actually de- trying to change anything. I think so. I think so. Um, Brooke Archer says, uh, the best of the rest position has been very hard fought for the last few rounds. Who do you think will qualify and finish in the best of the rest positions this race? I really do think it's Renault. I, I may be proven wrong, but I really do feel like they've turned a bit of a corner and are going to start being not consistently in that position, but more often than not being that car. I'd like to think so. That's where they ought to be. Yeah. Um, I think if Canada is something to go by as an actual yardstick for them, then yes, it should be them this weekend. Uh, I think all they really need as well is just some consistency. Like every other team in the midfield has been very inconsistent up to this point, themselves included. If they can just find some consistency, I think they'll... They'll be in a good place. Precisely. The most consistent of the bunch has been McLaren. And mm. that's why they're leading that little fight, albeit only just at the moment. But they've probably been the most consistent of the bunch, which is why they were in the position that they were in. Um, and the fact that yeah. they have a Renault engine in the back mm. goes to show that it must be other things that Renault were doing that's caused them problems before now, because which we've talked about before, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, I'd, I'd like to say it's Renault, possibly McLaren. Yeah, agreed. Uh, finally, Owen Finlay. Uh, sorry, another aero question. I promise I do think about other things sometimes. <laughs> uh, I was wondering what would happen if they removed DRS for qualifying. Would the teams just take the loss in time equally or would some teams benefit more? Would teams try and use less rear wing and create more downforce elsewhere? Also, it leaves DRS for what it was intended for, overtaking. Hmm. Well, we've come from a position where DRS used to be used on the entire lap if you wanted to, didn't it? Yeah. As part of qualifying. Uh, the thing the thing with DRS is there's regulations, obviously, around the DRS system itself. Like, it's got to be within certain parameters in terms of the size of it and, and so on. So the actual letterbox itself that opens up and is and provides the reduction in drag is generally the same for everyone. But I guess it depends on how the rest of the cars set up around that, including the rear wing that, you know, the design of the rear wing It's even though the hole's the same size, depending on the design of the rear wing, it may have less or not as much of an impact because if you're already running quite a skinny rear wing, that's not doing a huge amount. You're not going to reduce the drag by that much, I guess. Um, so it would be interesting yeah. to see if it forced people down a particular setup route, but I think that 
if you did do that, then you'd be in a position where they'd be out of setup for the race, I guess. And it then becomes less useful when they have got it in the race. Yeah, do you, at that point, do you run less wing in qualifying to make up for it, but would that hamper you in the race more? Then then again, I guess if you if you ran less wing knowing that you can't use DRS in quality and got yourself up the front of the grid, you're then still going to have less wing in the race, but as long as you don't need to use DRS to overtake people, yeah, which true. you don't because you're at the front of the grid, then you should be all right. Red yeah. Bull won like what four titles off that philosophy of exactly, let's yeah. just be the fastest on a Saturday, get to the front, and then do what we can to maintain that lead as long as possible. Yeah, it's true. And you would, you'd think it would hurt teams that already have a a good straight line speed as well, because obviously, if you you already have a fast car you're going to be hitting the DRS activation zone faster than everyone else. So the advantage you get from it is already starting at a higher point. So it's just going to ramp up more and more. So I guess if it did, if the degree in qualifying, it might help the slower cars in the straight line a little or the slower accelerating cars possibly. But yeah, I'm not sure it would make a massive difference between teams, I guess is what I'm saying. We'll run tests and get back to you. <laughs> yeah. I'll boot up uh, the F1 game and run some tests. Yeah, we'll do some tests. So, that's accurate enough, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, that's it for Inbox as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. And that's about it for this week as well. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter at Back of the Grid F1, on Facebook and Instagram, just search Back of the Grid. Uh, and you can go to backofthegrid.com, which is where you can sign up and enter the Predictions League, and you can also send us a message from there. We will speak to you again after the French Grand Prix, but until then, thanks for joining us, and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) Hi, Stu. Hi. That's the worst worst audio quality we've ever had on this episode, by the way. (laughs) Really, is it? I'm not saying... Just on this episode, or any episode? Uh, Well, on any episode, ever. You sound like you're inside a bin. (laughs) Yeah. Do I? That's because I am, in fact, inside a bin. Well, do you have anything to add on Le Mans or the French Grand Prix before we go? Um, Just really quickly, it was... Le Mans was great. I really enjoyed Le Mans. Um, I can hear in the... uh, from someone's headphones how just how bad the audio quality is on this feed it's so, abysmal yeah oh yeah i do apologize i'll keep it short um le mans was awesome and what was the other question french grand prix french grand prix um yeah looking forward to it um hopefully vettel can redeem himself well according to your predictions he won't <laughs> that, that's true that is true <laughs> i am very much on the hamilton camp this week well i've gone for a vettel clean sweep so i hope you're right Cool, cool. This just reminds me of when they interview people over the phone on like the radio or something. <laughs> when you've got two people in the studio and then one guy on the phone is like, I'm sorry I couldn't be there, but here I got some input and that's what matters. <laughs> um, it's going to be like that. Uh, that's that's I can remember that scene about a year ago when the guy was getting interviewed for the BBC and the his kid came out from the background yeah. into the office. <laughs> that's what this is. <laughs> and and, and what, what turned out to be his wife um ushered the children like literally dragged the kids out of shot out of the room and all the media said that it was his nanny but it was actually his wife yeah 
That was, yeah. Well, I yeah. guess the equivalent for you being in a bin is that Oscar the Grouch is going to come barreling in in a minute and try yeah. and kick you out. Either that or he's with Pierre Gasly having an ice bath. <laughs> I do not get that reference. <laughs> Netflix documentary, bros. Uh... He was just... Pretty much, literally sat in a bin having an ice bath. I was going to say the crack fox is coming, but that's that's an even more niche, that's an even niche reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least Pierre Gasly's topical to the show. Yeah, and um, I don't think any of this is going to be usable either. So sorry for ruining the end of the episode. <laughs> oh, it's staying. Well, on that note, <laughs> thank you for joining us, Stu. Thank you for joining us, everyone else, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 <laughs>